2: Welcome back to Four to Six with AMV, your Ohio State podcast on the Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined as always by Ari Wasserman. Ari, I am tempted to smash the twenty-one point line with Ohio State against Indiana on Saturday. Am I nuts for
1: thinking that Ohio State wins this game comfortably? This is the biggest game of the year. How dare you be so disrespectful to the best opponent on Ohio State's schedule? Indiana is
2: the best opponent on Ohio State's schedule because someone has to be, and the rest of the Big Ten stinks.
1: That's the story here, you know, all year. Rutgers is the best team in the Big Ten. Indiana is the best team in the Big Ten. Big Ten East standing screenshots. Like, it's been the talk of Twitter, and it's kind of been the talk of the town, how weird 2020 has been, and, you know, making all these fun jokes about Indiana potentially competing, and even when Ohio State's uh, game got canceled uh, against Maryland, the first reaction was, well, if uh, Indiana goes and beats uh, Michigan State, excuse me, that they would be the number one team in sole possession of uh first place in the Big 10 East and it's like dude I don't think that they have any chance to compete with Ohio State and to make Ohio State sweat for the game but they are literally the best team on Ohio State's schedule and like that's the framework that we're dealing with with the remainder of this game or this this game this team schedule this year
2: yeah, I mean, if Ohio State's going to get tested the rest of this year, this is when it's going to happen because it's, it's certainly not going to be Illinois and Michigan State, and it's not going to be Michigan, which is a pile of ashes at the moment after losing 49-11 to to a Wisconsin team that was off for two weeks because of COVID issues and then came back and looked sharper than Michigan, which had been playing for three consecutive weeks. Um, we can talk a little bit about that later if we want. I know we, we kind of – threw dirt on the ball era last week too but uh, i think ohio state fans enjoy that so we can get into that but it is a top 10 game on saturday ohio state versus indiana number three versus number nine noon on fox in ohio stadium the whole fox crew's coming out it's a big it's a big deal it's the biggest game in the big 10 this season until the big 10 championship which which looks like it's going to be ohio state versus wisconsin but the unexpected off week for Ohio State provided me, and I don't know if you did this too, Ari, an opportunity to watch the entirety of Indiana's game against Michigan State on Saturday. Indiana won 24 to nothing against a terrible Michigan State team, and I came away from that game thinking that Indiana has some nice pieces. It's, it's a program that I think is getting some things aligned. I like Tom Allen as a program builder. I don't think that team has any shot whatsoever of leaving hanging with Ohio State, let alone beating Ohio State on Saturday.
1: I agree completely, and I think the context of this whole thing isn't whether or not Indiana is an improved program or to whether Tom Allen is building something there. Maybe he is, but it's a big step between. Is Indiana the second best or third best team in the Big Ten? Um, and then is Indiana going to go beat Ohio State on the road? Like, there's a huge jump between yep. those two things, and I don't think that we have to like pretend like one doesn't like equates to the other. Indiana is doing really good things. Tom Allen does have something to build there. They do have some pieces that they haven't had there in the past. They're not going to go beat the Alabama of the Big Ten. So, you know, I I think that there's a way that Ohio State fans can gain something by watching an explosive or somewhat explosive. I don't even know if I would consider Indiana's offense explosive, but they do have some guys there. Maybe Penix does make a, a few plays, and you might be able to garner something out of this. But if Ohio State's not winning by more than two touchdowns in the third quarter, I'd be pretty shocked.
2: Indiana, for some reason, and I'm guilty of this too, or at least I thought I thought this was going to be the case coming in, Indiana has the reputation of an explosive offense without actually being one. They're 10th in the Big Ten in yards per game. They're 11th in the Big Ten in yards per play. They're terrible on third down. They can't run the ball. And they were making a huge deal during the Michigan State game of, oh, like Indiana always scores in the red zone. Their red zone touchdown percentage is 60%, which isn't that good. Like, if you score in the red zone, that's great. You, you end drives with points. But if you're not scoring touchdowns, you're not beating Ohio State. So, like, Michael Penix is a good quarterback. Ty Fry, Fro- Ty Fry Fogle and Wap Fillier, which, like, there's not a better name tandem wide receiver I was in this country, yeah. um, are, are good players, NFL players. for Like, they're NFL receivers, both of them. They are going to be a good test for what is a depleted secondary that has not played all that well. But just watching that game, I thought to myself, like they can play these guys straight up man-to-man, make Michael Penix throw in the tight windows. They're not going to run the ball against Ohio State, and I think Ohio State's defense is fine. If they can't do that, then I don't really know what we're talking about here because if you can't cover Indiana's receivers, you're sure as shit not covering Clemson and Alabama's receivers. Um but I just think like this is not this is a top ten matchup and label only, but it's not even close to that when you like dissect the pieces that are at play here and how both these teams are playing.
1: Is there actual hype around this game? Are people actually trying to get excited about this? I'm not yeah. even being funny.
2: No, I think I think so. I think so. Um, people are excited about Indiana being top ten. It's a weird year, and like Indiana being top ten is
1: is like perfect for the weird year that we're in. Media people, no, but you know combat. the vibe though. You know the vibe I'm talking about The people that are like super into like this is going to be a good game I think Ohio State
2: fans are a little on edge Because of some defensive lapses And what I just said about the reputation of Indiana's offense Um, And I do think like the national college football sort of sphere Is intrigued by the idea of Ohio State possibly losing to Indiana For the first time since
1: 1988 Yeah I I think they're all wrong Yeah, I think it's going to be over before it starts.
2: Yeah, we're really this is this is I don't know if we've ever been this cocky about an Ohio State game.
1: Um, I was more cocky about the Penn State game. I think. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I thought they were going to run Penn State off the field,
2: and they kind of did in everything but the final score because they had some stalls in the red zone. Which is, like, it's possible you yeah. too. Indiana's, um, Indiana's defense I just don't is, know, is
1: pretty good. Despite the fact that Indiana does have some more guys and some of their receivers are, as you mentioned, pretty good and Penix Jr. is kind of an exciting guy to watch, they don't nearly have enough from top to bottom to hang with this team. And I know we've it is seen a, upsets happen and people are talking about this, you know, being a potentially a big game, but, you know, it doesn't add up. No matter how you slice it, it doesn't add up. They are a very deceptive 4-0.
2: It's, I was texting with our buddy Doug Maurice on Saturday because we were both watching the Indiana game, and I thought to myself that Indiana is a fake good team. Now, I think that's a little too strong. I don't think they're fake good, but they're not as good as the record indicates or certainly not as good as the ranking indicates. And I think Ohio State is like ready to kick things into another gear.
1: I love the idea and the discussion of what fake good is because in the context of what fake good, what does fake good even really mean? Uh, Does it mean that a team is like a top 10 team or ranked in the top 10 and it doesn't belong there or is a team that is bad that people think is good? And I think Indiana is pretty good for what Indiana is, but when we use it, the term fake good, I think being ranked in the top 10 means that you're a top 10 team and that means... uh, you're really, really good, and I think Indiana's fake in that regard. So, you know, they're the second or third best team in the Big Ten, which is the scariest part, Bill, but they don't belong in the top ten. So it's kind of, again, where you want to put it on that scale. They're not terrible. They're pretty good, but they're not top ten good.
2: Yes, I think I think that's a fair distinction. They're not fake good in the sense that they are a bad team that people are hyping up, but they're not – I guess, they're, I don't know, they're top ten caliber in the weirdest season of college football ever, but – if you want to take what is, I guess, a traditional um, barometer for a top 10 team in college football, um, I just don't think Indiana is there. And it's partly because of who, who Indiana has played. And, like, you can say the same thing about Ohio State because Ohio State's schedule to this point has not been particularly strong either. But Ohio State, I think, has earned some benefit of the doubt and, like we know, has really talented players that are capable of, of competing for a national championship. Um, Indiana has beaten Penn State in a game where it got outplayed and then won in overtime to, the, to its credit. Uh, it beat Rutgers it beat um, Michigan which is awful right now and it beat uh Michigan State over the weekend and in all those games it it faced quarterbacks who couldn't help but to throw the ball to the other team and like not in a way where Indiana I thought was particularly disruptive just like in a way where its defense was functioning as a punt return unit and catching just terrible throws from quarterbacks and setting up the offense on short fields like I found this stat kind of, you know, astonishing when I was going through some stuff on Saturday watching in, watching Indiana play Michigan State. I believe it is on eight of Indiana's 22 regulation scoring drives this year. It has started on the 50 or better. And its average starting field position in all of its regulation scoring drive is its own 43-yard line. Like, they have been the beneficiaries of some crazy good field position, which is the result of turnovers from quarterbacks who make mistakes that Justin Fields isn't going to make.
1: Are you responsible for that, though? Does Indiana get credit for creating that reality, or do you think it's more of a luck stat?
2: It's both. Like, if you were just looked at it on its own and just looked at the number, he's like, wow, Indiana's really good at generating tone numbers. But if you watch the game, it's like Sean Clifford missed a wide open Pat Fryermuth and threw the ball nine feet over his head.
1: That was or, a very bad throw. Or <laughs>
2: Peyton, or Peyton uh, Thorne, who is the backup for Rocky Lombardi, and Rocky Lombardi himself are just, like, making terrible decisions throwing the football. It's not like, oh, he's under pressure, he's getting hit, the ball pops out, some lineman grabs it, or, like, these guys are making really aggressive plays on the ball. It's like they're throwing the ball to Indiana. So I don't know, like – I'm like caught in between wanting to give Indiana credit for that, but also trying to be real about how these turnovers are being generated. I don't think it's because Indiana is particularly disruptive.
1: I think it's because they're a little bit lucky on that side of the ball. There are two types of teams, Bill. There are top 10 teams that everybody knows are top 10 teams because you can see that with their eyes. And there's top 10 teams that come out of nowhere and prove that they're a top 10 team based on what they've done. And everybody that has any functional retina can tell you that Ohio State's a top 10 team because of the talent that's on the on the team and, you know, just who they have. And I don't think that Ohio State needs to beat another top five or top 10 team to prove that. Indiana, meanwhile, has beaten Michigan, and they've beaten Penn State, and they've done things that have put themselves in a position to score the way that you have. But in order for them to continue to maintain that, they're going to have to actually prove it. Ohio State doesn't have to prove it. They just have to not lose it. Indiana has to prove it. And Indiana, when put in this position, is going to prove that they don't belong in the top 10 and thus they are going to fall out. And that's kind of how this stuff works. And it's exciting. It's a fun storyline. 2020 is weird. Hashtag weird. You know, all the things that make this season odd. But I think that normalcy is probably going to set in on Saturday. Do you think that like Indiana has
2: a ton of confidence, which I think is can be sort of undervalued a little bit? And I do think they're well coached, um, even though Michael Penix I think has been a little prone to making mistakes. Do you think Indiana is good enough to? Oh uh, yeah, do you think Indiana is good enough to beat Ohio State if Ohio State messes around in like a similar way it's been messing around with opponents in its first three games? We're just like not putting teams away and letting I don't them hang around a little bit.
1: I don't. Yeah, I you don't, don't either. I think that I, Ohio you know, Ohio State would have to turn the ball over six times for it to be close. Yeah, six
2: is a lot. But I think but it's, it's not a – I guess they've had, like, Steel Chambers has fumbled a little bit. Um, Justin Fields has three interceptions on, what, like 500 passing attempts? Like, he's just – he's not a guy who throws the ball to the other team. So, like, unless he's going to do that, I don't really see any way where Indiana even makes it competitive, which is why I want to hammer the 21 where it sits right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think actually I thought that the spread would be less than 20, but the fact that it's 20 um, makes me feel like even more confident in laying the points because it's like we're not trying to pretend that this game is something that it's it's not. Putting the 20 spot out there shows this is a three-score game. Nothing weird about it. Straightforward as can be. People might be tempted to take the 20, but to me, I think Ohio State might cover that spread by halftime. Because I know that Indiana has some exciting players on offense, but I don't know that Indiana is even remotely equipped to stop them on defense. Yeah,
2: I, we'll, we'll give our game picks later in the week. Well, you can tell where we're leaning, but you know, let the, let the week play out and see if any news comes out of it or anything. Indiana's got some injuries um, on the offensive line in particular that I don't think would impact my decision, but I guess it's worthwhile to see how, how that shakes out. But I am curious to your answer on this. On the scale of 1 to 10, likelihood with one being least likely, 10 being very likely that Ohio State's secondary is like bad, bad. And Indiana's receivers are going to run behind them. And Michael Penix is just going to bomb it over their heads for three hours from one to 10. Yeah. Two. Yeah. I think two is like the highest I'd be willing to go. Yeah. Just for the sake of the entertainment of this podcast. I just don't, I, just, I think there is a blueprint here. If you've watched any of Indiana, where Michael Penix has a really strong arm and isn't afraid to let the ball rip, but I don't think he's particularly accurate, and I don't think he'd have a fun time trying to throw against close coverage. And we've been waiting to see, like, Sean Wade kind of be the guy that we thought he'd be when he came back, and I think Seven Banks had a lot of hype before the season and, and it hasn't quite shown up just yet, and Marcus Hooker's got to tackle better. Um, there are definitely questions on the back end, and I think this is, a, this is a game that you can get answers to those questions, but I just think, like, the answer to that is going to be, oh, yeah, these guys are good.
1: Yeah, and even though they've done a pretty good job of managing what was on their schedule, and I think you have to like give Indiana credit for that. They only they only took what was given to them, and mm-hmm. if this were the Indiana of old, they still might have lost one of those games. They might have lost to Penn State. They might have, you know, messed around and you know not gotten it done against Michigan. And Indiana, for the most part, did a good job of manhandling. I thought they beat the crap out of Michigan. They definitely – the Michigan was the best they played, for sure. The best game that they've played was against Michigan, yes. And this week, they were playing, I think, against a, one of the worst three teams in the Big Ten, and I think it's completely within the realm of possibility that Michigan State's going to finish with one win over Michigan, and that's it. I don't know who else – unless they're playing Illinois, I don't know off the top of my head what their schedule looks like, but I think it's possible we've seen the last Michigan State win of the year. Um, mm-hmm. I don't – so, you know – Indiana beating Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State in any regular year <laughs> makes them a legitimate top 15 team, in my opinion. And maybe they're somewhere in the 17 to 23 range. But top 10, number 9, and the hype that comes along with being in that position is more of a fun, feel-good story for the program itself, not really what the reality of this game is. Indiana was up 24 nothing at the half on Michigan State. The final score of the game was 24
2: nothing. Indiana scored four times. Three of those times were a short field. Only one of them was a sustained drive. And on the other side of that, Michigan State was playing quarterback roulette and couldn't stop
1: giving the ball to the other team. So like, if if and if Indiana Indiana was a legitimate top ten team, they might have won forty eight nothing. They should have buried them. Yeah,
2: yeah. And like, like you can again, you can levy similar criticism against Ohio State. Like Ohio State was up thirty five three on Rutgers and should have buried them and didn't. Um, But Ohio State just has like benefit of the doubt in my mind, and Indiana has none because they haven't earned it yet.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ohio State doesn't have to win games to prove that they belong in the top ten. They just have to not lose them. So it's a completely different scenario. And, you know, it's just like I guess the fun thing we, we could do right now is what would have to happen in your mind for Indiana to win? uncharacter Either like uh, just a plethora of fumbles
2: from the running backs um, or way out of character Four throws from Justin Fields that gives Indiana, I think, like, minimum Ohio State has to turn the ball over four times for Indiana to win.
1: It's like when you start talking about uncharacteristic throws from Justin Fields, it's not even possible. Like, that's the thing that's not, like and I'm not trying, but it, what would he have to do? He'd have to forget to play the game the right way? Like, what kind of throws would Ohio State even be in a position to have to throw? he's had what coverage would would they be in what route would it be that he would throw a ball that he would something over
2: the middle I think he's had two balls this year that I think have gone off the fenders hands maybe um and both have been like kind of line drives over the middle of the field where I just don't think he saw the safety over the top or the linebacker underneath um and like was Indiana's going to do that they'll you'll they'll give you those looks so I think, I think any quarterback is susceptible to getting overconfident when you're playing as well as Justin Fields is and thinking you can fit a ball into any window. I'd love to see Justin Fields play that way because I want to see that guy stand back there and rip it, and if he throws a pick, he throws a pick. Um, but I think like it's like the J.T. Barrett thing after he, he shredded apart Penn State and then went to Iowa and thought he was Aaron Rodgers and threw four interceptions in like eight minutes. Um, something
1: like that, but
2: I don't think Justin Fields is capable of that.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know what you would have to do uh, in this fantasy land to create Ohio State loss. And I think that's part of the reason why I can't
0: get excited about this game. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer. If you ask us make the right call and get the service you deserve with discover limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
2: Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events. We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets, and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of the Athletic. I'm very curious to see the secondary. Um, I think they're going to be okay, but I do like. There's a chance that they're not, and and if they're not, then then I think we need to recalibrate some things. Um, but I just think like with a week off and their sort of issues evident and, and Sean Wade like kind of swayed me a little bit with how he was talking before the Maryland game about what his issues are and what needs to change. I just have belief in him. Um, I think he's earned that a little bit. And uh, I just don't think it's going to be such an issue that you're worried about Indiana beating them. And otherwise, I don't know where, where the issue pops up because Indiana, Indiana is about as good, I think, as it's always been. And the last three years since Tom Allen's been the head coach at Indiana, Ohio State's won by an average of 30 points in this game. Including like fifty one to ten last year. And for
1: how much hype there is about, and what's the biggest difference that you think Indiana has now that they didn't have when they were scoring forty points against Ohio State when um, they had a very familiar head coach?
2: Yeah, I, I the biggest difference I guess is they're a little more dynamic at quarterback. Um, but like Nate Sutfeld was good. Like those 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 offenses when Kevin Wilson was in charge scare me more than what
1: Indiana is going to bring into Ohio State on Saturday. And then defensively then, what, like, what is it that we're trying to talk ourselves into here? Um,
2: I think they're sound. I think they're aggressive. Um, I don't think they're going to be afraid of Ohio State, but they just don't have the pieces to match up. Like I, So, like, nothing really unless – like, Ohio State's offense, interior offensive line has given up some stuff in pass protection – it needs to be sharper in, in the run game, but I just don't think Indiana is good enough up front to like take that and use it against Ohio State in a way that's going to cause Ohio State to sweat a game, even letting it, let alone lose. Yeah, well, I mean, it's I the think best it was... defense they played for sure. like I think it's the best defense, or at least the most organized and like sure of what it is defense that Ohio State has played this year, and, and frankly, probably will play all year unless they play like Northwestern or Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship.
1: Yeah, I mean, that pivot that you just made verbally, I don't even know if you realized it, is what's so interesting to me. You said that's the best defense that they'll face this year, or at least the most functional defense, right, or the most prepared. What was the word that you used? The most organized was the word. Organized and sure of itself. So do you think that this is a uh, very well-coached team, or do you think it's more of a, a fact that some of the other coaches in the conference are just losing their edge right now?
2: Uh, probably some combination of both, but I do think Tom Allen's a
1: good coach. Because it's just, like, interesting to me because we're talking about Michigan's coach and we're talking about Penn State's coach, you know, doing some pretty odd things. And it seems like from a organization standpoint and from a coaching standpoint, things seem to be slipping on Ohio State's opponents' radar right now. And the only one right now, like, what coach's stock would you buy on the way up in the Big Ten right now? Hmm. Like, would you buy Mel Tucker's stock right now? He's a first-year guy. Maybe you can make the argument for both. Would you buy Scott Frost stock on the way up right now? No, no. Like, what? Who's? We could do this right now in the Big Ten. Which coaches' stocks going up, and which one's going down? Ryan Days is going up.
2: Um, Paul Chris, I think, is is going up or at least steady. Pat Fitzgerald's yeah. is steady. Um, Jeff Brahms is probably steady. Um, Tom Allens is going
1: up, and that's probably it. So the only other major traditional program on that list of going up was Crist. And obviously I think he's an awesome coach and does exactly what Wisconsin needs him to do. Love that. But when you're talking about Penn State not being on that list, Michigan State's not on that list, and Michigan's not on that list – this was once one of the best conferences in the entire sport, and now all of the three big programs outside of Ohio State have stocks that are going down with their head coaches. At the very it's, least, Michigan State is is like is even. You can you can yeah. say it's on an upward trend, but it's at the very bottom of
2: that upward trend.
1: Why is it on an upward trend though? Because the disaster that was there when he took over.
2: Only if you believe in Tucker's long-term viability, which is like up to you, I guess. It's based. That's not really based off. But has Mel other Tucker,
1: there. but has Mel Tucker done anything in his short amount of time as Michigan State's head coach to make you think, yeah, they've got the right guy. Is beating Michigan this year enough?
2: Yeah, they're not good, and they kicked Michigan's ass. So, like, it was a blip, and I don't think it's going to happen again. But to get your guys in a position to play Michigan that well when you're very short-handed from a talent standpoint, I think means something.
1: Yeah. 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 So. And I'm not disparaging him, just it's just an interesting discussion because as we try to put Indiana into the right frame here, try to give context to this football game, I feel like their emergence as a legit threat on, or a supposed legit threat on Ohio State's football schedule is more of an indemnification on the rest of the conference than it is about their stepping out and doing something unique. I think Indiana could be emerging as a pain in the ass. Um and maybe they're there, and they'll prove it on Saturday. I'm not quite sure they're there yet. Emerging as a pain in the ass is so much different than what we're trying to make this game, though. <laughs> yeah. Indiana's yeah. always been a pain in the ass.
0: Not Indiana the last was, few years. No, I but, know. But Indiana's
1: yeah. Kevin Wilson teams were a pain in the ass. Purdue can be a pain in the ass. We know that. Yeah. Like, consistent pain, I think, is... The is, biggest the biggest problem that Ohio State has on their schedule right now is they have to host a pain in the ass 20-point underdog. Yep. <laughs>
2: yeah. It actually so like this? Yeah. it
1: actually sucks, Bill. I think I it mean, sucks. What?
2: it's it's yeah, I mean you, you there was a time where you thought the Big Ten was heading in, in the opposite direction of what we're talking about right now. And I will say, like Michigan's on fire and I think very much on fire. I'm not quite sure I'm not quite ready to go there with Penn state just yet. I think Penn state, this could be more just of an odd year. I know, I know they have the recruiting stuff that doesn't look well for them in in, in Mm -hmm. 2021 and I'm not trying to be dismissive of that. Um, but I still think that that's a program that's like not going to wilt and go away. Um, Michigan, I think very much is until they decide to make a change, which they need to do after this year. I think that's evident at this point. Um, But yeah, like like Urban Urban changed the trajectory of the Big Ten and it looked like it was headed in the right direction and then now like I don't like it's falling apart.
1: Are there any other teams in the Big Ten that have any rational thought of making the college football playoff? Wisconsin?
2: Wisconsin with the quarterback is something to talk about, I think. I think we should talk
1: about that for the rest of the podcast. Because as much as we want to make the Indiana the game I mean, How I'm not going to break down Ohio State versus Wisconsin right now. That's not what I'm asking you to do. What I'm trying to ask you, I'm tr- that's not what I'm saying. I'm asking you if you think that that is the game now that is going to replace everything else on the end of the schedule and is like basically become the new Michigan game. Like, are we fighting through like in perpetuity
2: or just this year?
1: Just this year, meaning yeah, yeah, I like, think so. Like, I is that so. a game that's big enough in your mind to count down to? Um. Yes, I do.
2: I would still pick Ohio State to win that game, Um, but I think like Wisconsin has always played Ohio State pretty pretty tough. Um, And like the results, like the regular season result wasn't wasn't that close. The Big Ten championship game was a little closer, more competitive. Um, And they've done it being being pretty at a pretty significant disadvantage. I think at the quarterback position, and Graham Mertz is something different. So. I think he's a legitimate NFL prospect, at quarterback, even though he's very young. So I think if that if his trajectory continues this year, then, yes, I think that is a game worth counting down to and looking forward to at the end of the year.
1: Yeah, it's just very interesting to me because in the 10 years that I covered Ohio State, there are always certain 10-point games on the schedule where you thought, you know, win the first three easy ones and play this one. See where you are at that point of the season by that result. Then the next three games after that are kind of – you know, tread water games. And the seventh game is Penn State in late October. And then you're going to learn mm-hmm. something more about them then. And then two and a half weeks or three weeks later after that, after Thanksgiving, Ohio State gets to play Michigan. And then that game is going to be the culmination of everything this team has worked for for the last year to see if they can put themselves on the spot to win a national championship. And, like, this year it's all crap. And, it's a lot of crap. It's a lot of crap. And I don't, like, know what. That is going to mean for this team as they try to not only put themselves in a position to maybe get an advantageous seed in the playoff, as we all know so well how important that is, but also having any sort of battle test going into the Big Ten championship and beyond and the lack thereof um, might be kind of a concerning thing because, you know, last year when Ohio State went into the playoff, I felt like they were they were battle tested enough and had proven enough that they should be in that position as a national championship favorite. So when they played against Clemson, it wasn't necessarily a crazy shock to the system. And it's like, I don't know what's going to happen, but whoever Ohio State plays on January 1 or whatever the semifinal games are, it's going to be a shock to the system.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think think that's true. Although looking back, I would say that they're – Going into some of those games last year, we we're like, "This is this is a benchmark game," and then like coming out of it, it's like, oh, it really wasn't." And I guess part of that you give credit to Ohio State, but um, this is worse than it usually is. But I'm not sure it's at a level where like I'd be concerned going into the playoff that we don't know what Ohio State is. I think we'll have a good
1: enough indication of what they are. Here's what I want to say. We spent the entire off in all of our non-COVID-related podcasts discussing Ohio State and trying to compare them to last year's team. And I think that we went back and forth and we analyzed and discussed whether or not Ohio State is on the same playing field in terms of how good last year's team was this year. And right now, my gut feeling is that they are worse than last year. Um, And I don't know that I thought that before the season, but now I do. And I don't know whether or not I can give credence to that point of view because nothing that they've done or will do in the regular season is going to give us any bona fide evidence of of that either way. And maybe that'll be part of the fun going into the playoff, not necessarily knowing what you have. Maybe they're great. Maybe they're not so great. But I think that it is interesting in the discussion as we try to compare it to the achievements of the 2019 team there's nothing to gauge whether or not they're on the same trajectory as that team right now, and it's kind of weird to me.
2: Yeah. I don't I don't know if they're better or worse than they were last year. I'm not you sure. Don't? Particular. I don't I don't. Like the defense isn't as good as it was last year, but I think the offense might be better than it was last year. Um, cuz Justin Fields is better than he was last year. Um, and that's a lot. I also don't think it matters. Because they're not playing in the same universe as a 2019 team. Like, there's not an LSU out there this year. Clemson, I think, was probably better last year than it is right now. Um, Alabama, I guess, is a little better than it was last year. Might be a little bit worse than it was last year, too. I don't, like, I don't know. So, like, I, th- I think it's an interesting conversation. Is Ohio State better this year than it was last year? But in the end, I don't think that matters, like, at all to whether or not Ohio State's going to win a national championship.
1: This yeah. Year. Yeah. I think it's possible that Ohio State could be, uh, very much worse than last year, or clearly worse than last year, but not have to play anybody nearly as good as the teams that Ohio State played last year and still won a national title. Yeah. But as we sit back and try to break down and discuss whether or not this team is legendary good, it would just be nice to see something that would help us put the framework around it. And I don't know that anything that happens in this schedule – Short of another 2018 Maryland game that kind of says, holy crap, the defense is like a listen to your body moment. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I just feel like we're fighting through all these bad games just to finally get to the position where we can watch them play a good team. And it's like, they don't even, it's not only that they play, they don't play a Clemson or an Alabama in these months, they don't play a team with a pulse. Indiana's and it's like is pulse. Indiana the only thing that has a pulse? And then we and then we're back to a three touchdown dog.
2: Yeah, Indiana's got a pulse. They'll be favored by thirty probably against Illinois and Michigan State and I mean Michigan probably right. Um, so this is it. This is like oh, this, if you if you if you want anything that's going to even like resemble a benchmark kind of game, this is it. Um, I don't think in the end it's going to look that way because I think Ohio State's going to roll pretty easily. But the nature of the schedule and the way the season's played out in the Big Ten, like this is what we got until the Big Ten championship. Sucks. (laughs) Um, It doesn't suck in a vacuum because uh, two months ago, there were a lot of Ohio State fans who weren't sure if they're gonna to get to watch Ohio State play this year, so like I'm not gonna yeah, tell yeah, Ohio yeah. State fans it sucks. Watch your buck guys, if they kick ass, enjoy it. I think they are gonna kick ass. Um, it makes our jobs a little more difficult, but you don't care about that. You just care about whether or not your
1: team kicks ass. No, I don't care about whether it makes our jobs more difficult. I just the reason why being a fan is so fun is because you want that I don't know what's gonna happen feeling in your stomach at eleven AM while you're putting a few big BLIMs BL down, getting ready excited for the game. Is that what makes it exciting?
2: I think what's exciting is putting a few Bud Light lives down and walking into the stadium and knowing your team is going to rock shit and
1: win by 50. The tickets for the games that are going to end closely are more expensive for a reason. Yeah, like the championship
2: games. No, I, un- I understand that. I understand game. Penn those games State are, game. Those games are more exciting to watch as long as the result goes your way. Like, I get that. I, I understand how, how sports work, but, like, I don't think Ohio State fans are bummed that their team's really good and the teams are playing aren't.
1: I'm not trying to convince you that Ohio State fans should be bummed that their teams aren't, that their team is too good for the rest of their conference. I'm trying to convince you that, they're, that it's not as exciting to go through an entire schedule where you're so up and away overmatching your opponents that you don't even have the, to read a game preview or to listen to a podcast to try to figure out whether or not your team's going to win or to break down what's going to happen. The excitement of feeling like this is a big game is part of the fun of being a fan. Everybody remembers what they were doing during those those fun days where you don't know what's going to happen or the big plays that happen in close games, or winning the game like the Notre Dame game. Against yeah, but Notre- the big
2: games are going to come. They'll come. This is like yeah. this is life for Ohio State. You play three good games a year if you're lucky, and the rest of your schedule shit. Like, and there's just to be more shit in the schedule than than no oh, zero this year. That's that's but that's like that's. I'm, sorry, Ohio State's good. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> That'd be an interesting quote. I don't know. I would love. Yeah, like if you're listening to this and you think this sucks, tell me I'm wrong. My inclination is to think that you think it's great when your team is really good and you don't have to sweat on Saturdays. And then when the big games come, when they hand trophies out, you know, you can have <laughs> a pit in your stomach. Yeah. Yeah. Like Ohio State fans would have fun if they scored 100 points on Michigan, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, but that's. I'm just saying uh, an entire season full of the Illinois game is not fun. Like, you might enjoy it to see your team win by 100 and not have to sweat on Saturday, but there's no entertainment value. People shut the game off at halftime when that. I mean, it's not the same thing. So all I'm trying to say is that the, the lack of excitement of tentpole games that kind of become the benchmark of those of these seasons don't exist this year, and it's a weird year, and it's not quite as entertaining as it was. Everybody had more fun watching the Penn State game three weeks ago or two weeks ago, whenever that was, because people were nervous about the game. And when you saw your team perform and be awesome by kicking the crap out of a team that we thought was pretty good and was going to be a major challenge, there's a far more conducive entertain, uh, environment for entertaining football than watching them beat Illinois by 60. I don't even know why that's I mean, they're controversial. They're going to
2: play the number nine team in the country on Saturday. Yeah. And they're going to get a lot of credit for it when they win. Yeah. Because people don't know any better.
1: Yeah. is the Illinois, We're telling
2: you now that it's a fake good game, but the rest of the world doesn't know that. They think Indiana's great.
1: Is beating Indiana by 30 enough to put Ohio State in the discussion for the number one seed if there's multiple undefeated teams at the end of the year? No. But Like, do you think that Ohio State's schedule is going to put them at a disadvantage for seeding no matter how they perform? Mm-hmm. So I like, like wonder, like, what, yeah, it, have, gun, uh, like, gun to your head right now, what do you think Ohio State's playoff seed is going to be? Just based on the information that we have now.
2: Um, I think they can still get two, because if, if Clemson and Notre Dame split and Ohio State doesn't have a loss, I think that could still be number two. So I don't over,
1: think they would be number one. I think Bama's one. Do you want to go down the list of uh, where Ohio State belongs in the context of the sport right now overall? Is that entertaining to you? Where they belong, or like where I just where I just think like meaning like see it. where where Ohio State stacks up in the greater scheme of the playoff and uh where we think that you know the the teams that are in the mix are going to be ranked, so like like hypothetically speaking, who are your four best teams in college football, and who do you think Ohio State would have to play in the first round if you had to guess Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. And, like, I want it to be Cincinnati, but it, it's like they're not going to be there. But do you um, truthfully think that Cincinnati is one of the four best teams, or are you just saying that from an entertainment value? Kind of both. I think they're really good. I do think they're good. I think they're legitimately good. Do you think um, Cincinnati could stay on the same field as, like, Notre Dame and Clemson?
2: Uh, Yeah, I do. I think they. I would not pick them to win, but I don't think they get run off the field. So you think it would
1: be far more competitive than last year's Oklahoma-LSU game?
2: I think if Cincinnati was in the playoff, it would play a much more competitive game than Oklahoma has played in the playoffs since it's been there as the fourth seed and gets its ass kicked.
1: Yeah. I wonder what the spread of that game would be. Like Alabama-Cincinnati semifinal? Yeah, I bet you the spread would be 21 or more.
2: Yeah, I think it would be 21. But even if it was 21,
1: like that's still a better showing than Oklahoma would do. <laughs> well, <laughs> Oklahoma the shows up and loses by 40. I know. The difference, though, is the baseline expectation of the game is being – a 21-point t- difference is a lot different than it being a 12-point or 14-point spread and then you losing by more. Yeah, It's like you go into the game knowing that you're going to lose by three touchdowns. It just kind of takes the – I mean, I would much rather watch Alabama play Cincinnati than watch Alabama play the winner of the Big 12. Um, but the difference – between entertainment value and what we'd want to sit down and have popcorn for and watch is much different than what the real discussion and the real, um, yeah. you know. So entertainment value, I would love to see uh, Cincinnati play BYU, uh, or I would love to see those two duke it out for a spot in the fourth seed. I just don't think that either of them are going to play in this year's playoff regardless. Yeah, neither neither do I.
2: Um, so oh, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson – Um. Like I guess Notre Dame, I, I don't know. I think Notre Dame is going to lose the Clemson when they play each other again in the ACC championship, and Trevor Lawrence is healthy. Yeah, but I was also pretty impressed. Like something, I, something might have happened with Ian Buck in that Clemson game because he came out and he looked all right against Boston College too. And I thought that was a pretty good showing for Notre Dame coming off of an emotional win against a pretty good Boston College team on the road. Um, and they went there and, and they handled Boston College pretty good. So like, it's Notre Dame, it's Florida, it's A and M. Um, And then it's like like the only other teams I think worth talking about are
1: Cincinnati and like BYU and Oregon. Yeah, maybe. Yeah,
2: no, I guess I guess Oregon too. I don't know. Oregon
1: deserves to be in the discussion right now. Whether they'll be there at the end is different, but they deserve to be part of the discussion. For some
2: reason, I have a hard like. For some reason, I think the Big Ten like very much should be part of the playoff conversation, but I have a hard time saying the same thing with the Pac-12. And I guess that's probably not fair. Um, But it just almost feels like. Let's dive into that. I don't know. It just feels like the Pac-12 is like playing a different sport this year. It's like it's a different league this year. Because they started so, so late. Um, and they're only playing seven I know, games but Oregon's three. only played one less game than Ohio State now. No, I know, because Ohio State had a game canceled. No, I, I, I'm i not saying yeah. what, I'm, what I believe or what I feel is right. It's
1: just for some reason I feel that way. Let, let, let's go down the list here, okay? Here are my top four teams. Alabama, Ohio State... Clemson and Notre Dame and I think there's a major drop-off between three and four even though four beat three and I think we're going to see that when they play each other again and like I want to put Florida in there but Florida's defense is terrible I don't believe in my heart that Texas A&M belongs in this discussion Cincinnati and BYU are what they are Miami is not a top four team Indiana is fake fake good for a top 10 team, solid, but not top 10. Georgia's out of the discussion. Wisconsin's only played two games in Oregon. Um, And then the only undefeated teams after that are Marshall and Coastal Carolina and USC. And if you want to have some fun, Northwestern and Liberty. But in terms of the top 25 right now, there aren't that very, it's the same thing as last year. There aren't very many suitors for the number four spot. Mm -hmm. And it's like if you had to pick between Florida and, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, BYU, Wisconsin, and Oregon for the fourth spot. Like, what? who would you put in right now? Right now, we can include Notre Dame in that. It's, like, unfair, and I know it sounds bad because Notre Dame should be firmly in the top three because of the results on the field, but I don't know that I believe it yet. They played really well
2: against Clemson. They did,
1: and they, they played really well against BC, too. So maybe that's the top four. But... The thing about it is is do you think that if if Clemson beats them by 10 in the rematch that they're in? Do I think Clemson beats them by 10? No, uh, if Clemson beats Notre Dame by 10 in the ACC Championship and wins the ACC, does Notre Dame still deserving of the fourth spot in your opinion? Or do I you mean, think this it depend
2: it depends on what happens with like if what's what's Florida in that scenario?
1: Two loss SEC loss champion?
2: I would put Notre Dame in ahead of Florida.
1: Yeah, I mean, Florida can't stop a nosebleed. So, as fun as it is to talk about Trask and the 17 touchdowns he's throwing every week, I don't know that they're a complete enough team to be in the playoff discussion. Um, And they are, and maybe Trask is like the Heisman. Is he the, like, leading Heisman? I saw Stuart Mandel's mailbag on Sunday led with, is Trask the new um, favorite to win the Heisman? And Yeah, his numbers. He's got people –
2: his numbers at the moment are very comparable to Joe Burrow's last year. Um and he is we did our did you put him in the Heisman straw poll straw poll this week? I haven't voted
1: yet, but I'm going to. I put him second.
2: I still had fields first. Did he
1: throw six touchdowns on Saturday?
2: I believe that is the case, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He deserves to be against a yeah, decent Arkansas team, right? Yeah. Um Yeah, I think he's good and he did it without Kyle Pitts. Um so he's good. He's I think that like that offense is legit. That offense can score on anybody. Yeah. I think when Alabama plays Florida in the SEC championship, it's going to be like 48-38 or something like that.
1: Yeah. Over-under is going to be 83-and-a-half. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as things stand right now, it just seems like Ohio State's going to walk into that number two spot. And if they walk into that number two spot, that means as things stand right now in my mind that they're playing Clemson again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. The 2-3 game. Yeah, I mean, you want that pit in your stomach? (laughs) There you go,
2: guys. Yeah, it's coming in in January or February if they move the playoff back, which isn't going to happen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the fall guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. All
2: right. Uh let's wrap up start the wrap up I guess a little bit with this. It this is technically the halfway point of Ohio State's regular season, which sounds absurd to say because they've only played 3 games. Um but there's only 4 left and they missed their fourth game. The like midway point MVP stuff is like kind of cliché and also a pointless exercise when a team's only played three games. But I am curious about like guys you think Ohio state needs to see more from moving forward or guys you're interested to see perform moving forward because you think that maybe the second half of the season could be a time for them to step up and be a more featured and important piece on this team.
1: Yeah. I don't know how to say like the offense. It's like, are we trying to buy stock low and say we need more moving high it's like my natural inclination is we know what what Chris Olave is and we know what Justin Fields is, and I think we know what Garrett Wilson is now, but I feel like Garrett Wilson in four weeks is going to be considered one of the top five receivers in college football, and I don't know if we're there yet. Um, I don't know yep. if we're there. I, I, I'm there. I don't know if you're there. I know the sport's not there, and I think that it's only a matter of time. That guy is absurdly good, and as he continues to perform – I think it's becoming more and more evident, but I still don't know that he is on the national radar yet, and I think it's kind of strange. So, like, Ohio State's offense is what it is. I'm excited to see them get more from him, but that's not the biggest need on Ohio State's offense. The biggest need, I think the answer to that question is Master Teague, offensively. They need the most from him at the halfway point moving forward, and I don't know that there's a second. In terms of what they need, Yeah, that's that's the clear and above answer. Um, Yep entertainment wise i think that get watching garrett wilson flourish is the most entertaining storyline
2: yeah he's going to have a lot of eyeballs on him this weekend people are going to be tuning into the first half of that ohio state indiana game and if it's a runaway they'll tune out but if it's close they'll watch the whole thing but there's there's an opportunity there for garrett wilson i think to capture some national attention justin fields has it and and like i i like continue to feel Halfway decent about saying that he could be the first QB taken in the draft. I still don't think we're we're near a point where he's he's got a firm grip on that. But people are talking about it, and I don't know if that's just because it's fun to talk about or because of because it's real. But the the talk is happening, and and I think it's going to continue that way because he's playing out of his mind. But but Garrett Wilson, I agree with you. I think he's talented enough to be the kind of guy we're talking about. He just isn't talked about in that way yet. But after this game, that might change. Um, I agree one hundred percent on Teague. I just think he needs to be the be the guy and get comfortable and get in a rhythm and start turning some of these one yard runs into three and four yard runs and I think even if he does that, the offense is in great shape and and I think they need to be a little better up front um, in the middle, like Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis need to step it up a little bit. We know how good they are just they haven 't played up to that level yet. And, like, Harry Miller's a new guy, and some struggles I think are understandable, but teams are going to keep picking on him because he's, he's the weak link, weak link up front because he's the most inexperienced. And um, he's not the first guy to struggle early, and if he turns it around, he wouldn't be the first guy to struggle early and then turn it around and have a really good close to his season. But, but I think they need that from all three of those middle guys, especially when we're talking about them running the ball a little more efficiently.
1: Defensively, I think Sean Wade is the answer. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe he's not. It's the easy way out, I guess. But, you know, as you wrote, he's got some improvement that he needs to make, and you want to see something special out of him, and it hasn't happened so far. And I guess whether or not you're worried about him is completely different to what you might get out of him. And what you need is a lockdown first-round corner who is going to take the team's opposing best offensive weapon out of the game. And I think that he's fallen short of that so far. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that I don't think he's capable of that. That's the expectation. And midway through their three-game three game slate, midway through the season, I think that that's the place where you could get the biggest, most dramatic jump from a guy that you expected to do something that he just hasn't done yet. But he can do. Yeah.
2: Um, real quickly before I talk about the defense, I, do, I will say, like, if – like a guy to buy a little bit of stock and I think offensively in the second half of the year might be Jeremy Ruckert um, he's playing really well he's blocking his ass off but I think he's going to get rewarded with that and as Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson get more attention um, I think Jeremy Ruckert will get some some openings to make some plays in a different kind of way than we've seen from tight ends here in the past yes I'm taking the bait uh, defensively Agree 100% on Sean Wade. I'm curious if, like, Legend... Like, Ryan Day keeps bringing up Legend Cavazos' his name. Like, every time we talk to him, it's always like, when we get Legend back, we can maybe work him in and start getting a little more depth in the secondary. And it's like, they have Sean Wade and they have seven banks and Cam Brown's out for the year. And Marcus Williamson, I think, has just been okay. I think Josh Proctor should play ahead of him in that spot. Um, but they could stand to get another corner in that rotation. And banking on a true freshman who hasn't played yet is, like, nuts, but... I don't know why Ryan Day keeps bringing his name up, if other than like he did something to impress some people, which is crazy
1: summer. because he was a raw prospect. He's very raw.
2: He's super athletic, but I think he's very raw as a defensive back. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think the thing that they liked about him the most is that the physical tools of, you know, speed and athleticism and you know his testing numbers at the opening were off the charts. And you know that's all well and good, but going in and being counted on as a true freshman when the large basis of what your scholarship offer about was about is about your, uh, testing numbers. It's like, it's just a huge gap between the two things. Yeah. Want
2: to see more from the defensive ends. I think the pass rush has been criticized a little too much. Cause I don't think it's been bad. They're just not getting home for sacks. The guys in the middle are the guys on the outside aren't. And I think the guys on the outside need to start doing that, whether that's Tyreek Smith or, or Zach Harrison in particular. Um, I don't think these guys are playing poorly. Um, and they're playing pretty well against the run, but they need to step it up. I think against the pass, especially you know starting this week against Michael Penix, because if you can bother him, um, I think you win kind of easily if you can get after him and force him to play under pressure. Because I don't think he's very good at it. Also yeah. buying Josh Proctor stock, big time Josh Proctor stock. I think he's a guy you can't take off the field anymore. No matter where it is. We don't put him at bullet or slot corner in place of Marcus Williamson or play him in the deep middle and place of Marcus Hooker. Like I don't care. He needs to be on the field.
1: Yeah. You put him at, you put yourself in a position, you know, to even have this discussion right now, talk about things that you wouldn't expect to say in, in February. That he wouldn't be on the field? Yeah, or like that you'd have to make that yeah.
0: point.
2: Yeah, it's a little strange. His trajectory has not been what I thought it would be or what anyone thought it would be, but I think his production to this point has been, even if he's been in some different spots. He's been really good, and it doesn't show up a ton because of the different spots that he's in. Um, And he's very versatile. He needs to play a lot moving forward. And I think this could be a big week for him, whether he's covering one of these receivers or covering Peyton Hendershot, their tight end. Um, I think you're going to need a big game from Josh Proctor to uh, shut down the Indiana passing attack. So. And I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to start to break out a little bit.
1: Which player do you think um, Ohio State was expecting something from Big that hasn't yet has the best chance of breaking out still? Like, are you like still bought in on Tyreek Smith potentially being something, or are you starting to worry that that the window is closing?
2: That's a good one. Maybe maybe he'd be my answer. Like like can Sean Wade be my answer to that? Um, yeah. He's an obvious one, I guess. Of like if take, taking someone less obvious. I think Tyreek Smith, like Tyreek Smith and or Zach Harrison, I think is a good answer to that question, because I don't think they've been particularly bad. But I also think there's there was some expectation that they would be like game altering kind of players, and they've not been that
1: quite yet. I remember when we did the a podcast months ago, we talked about look at all the pieces that are in place for Ohio State. We don't necessarily know who is going to turn out to be what. But if only one out of these five players turns out to be what we think they're hyped up to be, then Ohio State will be in a good spot. And I think those players were like Tyreek Smith, um, Teron Vincent, um, Zach Harrison, Josh Proctor. Proctor, Yeah, Proctor was one. And there was one more, and I don't think any of them have. I think it was Taraja
2: Mitchell was maybe
1: the other one. Or Taraja Mitchell, those five. And I don't think any of those five have. And I think that's kind of a problem like boom or bust situation I don't know that they've been bust but none of them have boomed
2: I don't think anyone's been a bust for I, yeah I don't think that at all I yeah. would agree that no one's quite boomed yet but I think we could be on the precipice of a Josh Proctor boom
1: yeah and it doesn't have to be a boom now it just has to be a boom going into the January game right right um, so why do you yeah. why is your why is yours Josh Proctor?
2: I just think he's played really well, um, and he, they they put him in a lot of different spots, and he's played well in all of them. Um, he is better in coverage than I thought he'd be. Like the, Matt Barnes talked about, like Josh, we like Josh. His man to man coverage is really good, and I was like, oh, I'm a little skeptical of that, but it showed up. He, I thought he played really well against Pat Friermuth. Um, they had him covering receivers when they were playing Rutgers, um, and I thought he's I thought he's he held up really well and. When you play a team that has multiple weapons in the passing game like Indiana's going to have, I think he becomes infinitely more important. I think Marcus Williamson has been fine, but some of the stuff they're doing where they bump that position back to play like a split safety, I would much rather see Josh Proctor playing that position than I would Marcus Williamson because Marcus Williamson just doesn't look comfortable when he's asked to back up and then like read the run and come up and make
1: a tackle. He's had a, quite a few misses, I think, doing There's that. There's a huge
2: discrepancy.
1: But yeah. Proctor, I think, can be good at that. There's a huge discrepancy between athleticism and those two players too, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that when you start talking about defensive backs who are ranging and have to come up into the run and assist and blitz and you know stay in coverage, like there's a certain athletic limitation that you might have that I think Marcus Williamson is dealing with. And it's just like you need to put somebody in a position there that can do all those things physically and naturally, and I think Proctor fits the description on that much more.
2: Yeah. It's like that- Marcus Williamson is on the field all the time and josh proctor like comes on in nickel or like in matchup based scenarios and i think that should be flipped marcus williamson can have a role but the guy who should be on the field all the time i think is josh proctor and i think yeah. that's been very apparent through three games
1: and another one of the boomer busts bill not to change the subject but still on the same thing i think is rucker and i think he also might be in that same conversation
2: yeah they were they, the way they were talking about him last week Um, before they knew the game was canceled was it was fairly glowing terms and I do think he's played really well Um, and his his blocking was suspect I think early in his career and he's really up the physical play and I think it's like I think it's kind of the deal like sometimes like some quarterbacks get into a rhythm throwing the ball after they run it a few times I think Jeremy Rucker might be a guy who because he's improved so much as a blocker and is getting a feel for the game that way is finding his stride a little bit as a receiver, and most importantly, Justin Fields is looking for him and trust him, which is huge.
1: He's the guy that I wouldn't take off the field at the tight end position at all, ever.
2: They're and playing a lot
1: has. with 12, but I, I, it, but it does feel to me like, I, I like
2: Luke Farrell a lot, he's been very solid for them, but it does feel to me like Ruckert is inching past him a little bit.
1: Yeah, and you know they have the your favorite formation when they're both on the field. You know, that's a thing. I, Love it. But if you have one tight end on the field, I think Ruckert should be the tight end that's on the field. Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
2: And I think it's trending in that direction.
1: Yeah, that's actually, like, just an interesting discussion in terms of boom or bust, too. It's like there's so many players on this team that you've been waiting for, and I just feel like Ohio State might be two booms away from overwhelming national championship favorite.
2: That's a good question. How many booms away are they? I think two yeah. good.
1: Yeah, two booms? one off one I hate that we're using booms, the word or? boom right now because I can hear <laughs> Mark Pantoni dancing in the background but um, yeah I think two booms especially if they're both defensive booms like I don't know yeah. that Jeremy Ruckert turning into a boom is gonna change much for this offense because he's already I think good enough to do I'd trust Jeremy Ruckert in any position right now um, in any game catching a ball with the game on the line or, or being out there as a blocker against Alabama right now so maybe he's already kind of considered that even if he hasn't had the statistics or the moments to back it up but if you can go into the game feeling as good about Josh Proctor as you did about uh, Malik Hooker and I don't mean that he's able to do all the same things but you could feel as good about him or if you could feel as good about one defensive end being disruptive as you would have uh, Chase Young. Again, not the same production, but knowing that you have a guy out there that's going to be able to change the game and you can feel good about that. Ohio State's a completely different football team right now. And they have that and two different candidates at the same position to do that and we're waiting for one of them to step up. And they have candidates in the secondary to do that too. So, I don't know if it's even possible for any of these guys to become um, a boom or bust answer through three games. I think Haskell Garrett is booming right now. Mm -hmm. Um, There's different names in there that you could put in that list, and maybe three games is just not big enough of a sample size. And the thing that kind of stinks about not having a big-time tentpole game, going back to earlier in the discussion, is that you don't really have the opportunity for these guys to have those boom moments where you can be like, okay, this guy's here, he's arrived. But there's so much talent on this team, and through three games, I don't know that they've had nearly enough boom um, to make this team stand out. And that's part of the reason why I don't think they're as good as last year. And that would be something that you could change, opinion-wise, if there were more booms. And it's like, I think that could be the name of this podcast. How many booms does Ohio State need on the 2020 roster to be a national championship favorite? And maybe they already are. I don't know. Maybe I'm selling them short. But I want to feel as good about Ohio State as I felt about Ohio State last year going into the playoff, and I don't. And I don't know what it's going to take for me to feel that way. And I think booms would be the answer to that.
2: Did you feel that way after three games last year?
1: Um, I was very wrong after the opener, and then I think after what they did to Wisconsin's, when I started feeling that way. That was like the seventh, think that was or eighth the f-
2: game of the year, fourth, fifth
1: game last year, isn't it?
2: No, I think it was later than that. It was in October.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if the point you're making is it's too early to draw conclusions, then I mean, I agree with that. I'm not. It's I'm just
2: not- so weird. It's like it we're it's November 15th and they have played three games.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's also part of like. <laughs> Muscle memory too, being at this point in the year, you're usually like at that point where you're winding shit down. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like they're like going into Michigan week in two weeks from now, you know, and that would be the end of it. And you know, we're just kind of just ramping up. So, you know, I think we have to go into it understanding and accepting the fact that things are just different this year. And, you know the standard doesn't have to be be Ohio State good as two thousand nineteen. I just think that the expectation was that that was an opportunity for that to happen and as we sit back and watch the games, we're waiting to see whether we can put them into that same framework and I think we did it in reverse, Bill. I think we came into it already ready to crown them or at least I did. I don't know. I don't want to speak for you. I came in thinking this. I was this, ready. I was ready to do that and like now I don't necessarily think that I am as confident as them being as good as last year as I was coming into the year and I think part of the reason why is because some of the unknowns or some of the first year or first-time contributors that I thought were going to be bona fide NFL draft picks haven't yet. And then I sound like that's a rational take on November 15th, and then you're like, dude, they've played three games, and I feel like an idiot. So I think it's somewhere in the middle uh, of those two things, and I'm very excited to watch the Illinois game because it's just like watch Tyreek Smith come out and have four sacks in this game, and then maybe that completely changes the entire viewpoint of how we feel about this defense. I mean, it happened so quickly. And, you know, how quickly did it take – For Haskell Garrett to be like, is that guy going to ever play here again? To like, he's one of the best players in the defense. It's like, it it doesn't really need to take as much time as as we're implying. So, you know, it's just something interesting to track as you move forward on the season.
2: Wisconsin was the eighth game of the year last year. It was? Um, Yeah, October 26th. And here we are November 15th getting ready for game four this weekend it's a very it's it's hard it's hard to analyze and i think it's very easy to get carried away or get impatient with what you've seen um and listen like three games is half the season so like it's not it's not the same thing so i think you're allowed to go there a little bit but it's still been three games so i think it's okay if ohio state's not quite what we thought it was going to be coming into the year just yet although i will say um i still think they're going to win the national championship
1: yeah yeah
2: yeah I do. Justin Fields is awesome, man. That's all, that's all I care about. Justin Fields I know, is perfect. So
1: is Trevor Lawrence, and that's who they're going to be playing in the first game of the playoff. I mean, I'm just, yeah, it's going to be fun as hell. Yeah, I know. I can't wait. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> tentpole games tentpole
2: games all right let's wrap up the podcast yeah uh Ohio state indiana on saturday we'll have a podcast later in the week i think we'll give our hard game picks on that we'll figure out what else we're going to talk about make sure you subscribe to the athletic slash four dash six get you signed up if you like what you heard on this episode please leave an apple five-star review if you leave a question with your five-star review we'll answer it in a future episode big week top 10 matchup Ohio State versus indiana We'll talk to you guys later in the week.